BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. So I'm really excited about today's episode because it's really interesting to me to bring on all kinds of different entrepreneurs. You know, I've had people on here who started their entrepreneurship journey really young and today's guest, not the case. And I think that it proves that you can have any sort of background in order to have a successful business, like what age you start, what your circumstances are, it doesn't matter. It can work any which way. So of course, I'm talking about Amy Liu, the founder of Tower 28. Amy has a very interesting background. She was essentially a beauty exec who went on to start her own brand years into her career, which can be a pretty scary thing to do. So in today's episode, I talked to her all about that transition, why it's never too late, the things that she did that made the brand successful. And of course, we do a deep dive into their products, specifically the SOS spray. So this kind of relates to this week's hot tip, which is the spray, because after I had this interview with Amy, I could not like believe what she was saying about the spray. I was just like, for real? So essentially the spray was created to help with eczema. It has, I believe it's called hypochlorous acid. She goes into it in the episode, but essentially it helps with any sort of like wound or irritation. And she created it to help with eczema. And so I was like, after this um, interview, I was like, okay, like, let me go try it for myself. It's been two weeks since I started using this um, spray and I actually can't believe how good it is. So I talked about it on Instagram stories as well, but I'd been dealing with some like weird skin stuff. I usually have really like good skins, but you know, I'm human and sometimes it happens, but I felt like my pores were clogged and I was getting like random breakouts here and there. Anyway, so I started using this spray and I use it basically post cleanser pre serum every morning and it's made the most massive difference. I don't have any clogged anything. Um, And I had this like really gnarly kind of remnant of a pimple that came up when I was in Italy. And that scar has all but disappeared. So I am really, really pleased with the results. And I feel like I'm, I'm just really excited to bring you this episode so you can learn more about the product and Amy's journey and hopefully buy the spray afterwards because I can't stop talking about it. It is so, so good. Like, holy grail. Before we dive into the episode, let's get to this week's review, which comes from Missy1678. And she says, love it. Came across your podcast from Nitsan sharing her episode. Absolutely loved it and can't wait to catch up on all the other episodes. Also a big fan of Array. So happy I stumbled upon your podcast. This is so nice. Um, And guys, you know, if you do have a second, please, please, please take the time to 
rate the show and leave me a review. All you have to do is open the Apple podcast app, scroll down to the bottom where it says rate and review the show. If you feel like I deserve it, please leave me a five-star rating and leave the show a review. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you're loving, who you want to see more of, or what you want to see more of rather dream guests, any details you can give me is awesome. It helps me structure the show so that it brings you a lot of value. And that's ultimately what I want. So really appreciate your reviews here. And now with that, let's welcome Amy Liu to the Dream Bigger podcast. So you worked at really big beauty brands for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So tell us how you landed your first job in beauty. Oh my gosh. I actually haven't told the story in some time. So when I went to business school, so out of college, I went Mm -hmm. to UCSD Mm -hmm. and graduated from college. And I took my first job, which was at Accenture, because basically I didn't know what I wanted to do. And pretty quickly, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I decided to go to business school with the intention of changing my career. Mm -hmm. While I was in business school, I decided I really wanted to work in fashion or beauty. And specifically, I kind of landed on beauty because I thought, Everyone told me fashion was a bit more subjective. It could be based on trend a little bit more. And that beauty was a little bit more like people talk about the lipstick effect. They talk about how, you know, it's recession proof, which I guess we'll see. (laughs) Um, But they also talk about how it's just a little bit more numbers based, right? So I thought, okay, it's definitely going to be beauty. And I went to the career counselor at USC where I was going to school to get my MBA. And no beauty companies were coming to recruit at the school. Mm. And I didn't know what to do. And so she actually, but I told her, I was like, listen, I really want to work in beauty, but I guess, should I go just go work for Mattel? Because I know Mattel comes here and recruits. And she was like, are you kidding? If this is what you want to do, you should go and chase it. Mm -hmm. And so I got lucky. She put me, they were doing this dinner and this woman named Michelle Taylor, who was like a, she was at Chanel. She was at L'Oreal brands. Like she's a huge person in the beauty industry. An alumni was seated next to me during by my career counselor yeah. was seated next to me during oh like God, a, amazing. you know, at a dinner or something. And I said to her, I was like, I want to work in the beauty industry so badly. I will work for you for free. What can I do? And she took me up on the offer. And so I started being her free intern. She lived in Santa Barbara at the time. She was the, I think the head of the San Vicente Ranch, which is a resort. And I started driving from LA to Santa Barbara like probably two or three times a week. And I would just sit there next to her and like basically scribe her thoughts because she was working on business plans for different brands. And so she would take meetings with people and I would write down everything they talked about and then make it cohesive for them Mm -hmm. and put it into a business plan for them. And that was my first cut at working in beauty. But that wasn't a real job. That was just an internship. Then I went to go get my my first internship in beauty. And basically, Michelle, the same woman, gave me all of these people's names. And she said, go and ask them. Tell them Michelle called and, and give me, you know. And she gave me people like Carol Hamilton, who was like at the time, the, like they're very, very senior people. Mm-hmm. And I would send my, and so I FedExed my resume to all of these people. And then I would call them and I would say, hey, did you get my resume? And they're like, this is, do you know who you're calling? No, like this is not how you do this. And then I would say, well, okay, but I'm going to come to New York. Can I get an interview? (laughs) And God hand it to you for being ballsy, which is by the way, you have to do it. Like you have to be ballsy. I look back on this and I can't believe I actually did this, but I, I did. I FedExed my resume to all these people and it was the wrong people, you know, because it was not a recruiter. It was not the HR person. Every organization has, you know, infrastructure for a reason, but I didn't know what else to do. And so I was sending my resume in and these people would say, you know, you can't, I would, I would say, hey, did you get my resume? And they would look and I think because it came FedEx, it felt like a little bit special. And they'd be like, well, yeah. I was like, well, I'm coming to New York and I just picked an arbitrary day. And I was like, so can I come and interview? And oddly enough, they all made, or a bunch of them made actual interview like slots for me. And then I showed up to interview and I was at L'Oreal and Estee Lauder going up and down the floors because they're all different brands within the same building. And I remember this so clearly. I was at L'Oreal and I think I had just left like Biotherm and I was with like Maybelline or I don't know what it was. And I was talking to someone and in the middle of the interview, she turns and she answers the phone and she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she comes back and she's like, are you interviewing at other places in this building? And I was like, oh, I'm interviewing at all of them. <laughs> and she's like, that was L'Oreal HR. They said you can go home. You've interviewed enough. 
We will find you a job. Please just go away. <laughs> and that's actually how I got my first real internship. So I interned for L'Oreal. I worked on the Maybelline brand. And I'm actually super proud to say I was the first intern that ever came from USC. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. You know, there's such a lesson to be learned here. And like, I think that it's like a theme that I see so often with like really successful people is that they put themselves out there and it's almost like you have to be naive and like willing to take no for an answer and like be like, oh, well, I got nothing to lose, you know, just like put yourself out there. I think it's that. And then I think it's also not being dissuaded by what people say, yeah. because in truth, when I first interview, right, when I first tried to interview for L'Oreal, I tried to go through the formal process. Yeah. So I reached out to them and I called like their, you know, recruiting teams and whatever it was. And they said to me, you know, we don't take people from USC. And I was like, oh, you don't take people from USC because you think I'm coming from California and maybe I won't really move and stay for like a long time offer afterwards. And she said, no, we take people from Stanford and from UCLA. And I <laughs> was so upset at the time. So I guess my point is 100%, you're right. There's a part of it that you have to just be like, ballsy and go after it. But I think you also have to not be dissuaded totally. by the obstacles because they will always come your way. And I won't lie at the time that she said that I felt terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I felt bad about myself. I felt, you know, it was like, what am I doing? Why am I not at a better school? You know, you have all those things. Um, but instead, I think I let it, you don't get to necessarily choose what people say to you or do, but you get to choose how you react to it. A hundred percent. And I also think that it's like, it's interesting, like, of course, like hindsight is twenty twenty, yeah. but I think like all of those little things, it's like getting you ready to be an entrepreneur where it's like, you hear no a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's yes. like, it's in fact the <laughs> word I hear most. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? This episode is brought to you by Babe Original for longer looking lashes in as little as six weeks. So let me tell you about my lashes. They've always been short and straight, but for a few years I got lash extensions and I feel like they never really bounced back. I'd been wanting to try a lash serum over the last couple of years, but I just wasn't sure that anything would really work. So I actually started using the Babe Original Essential Serum as a skeptic. So it's been four weeks now and you guys, I am pretty shocked at my results, not gonna lie. I put on mascara for the first time in three weeks and could not believe how much longer my lashes looked. Nish even commented on the fact that they looked longer. So if a guy notices, I feel like it's definitely working. <laughs> the one thing I wanna bring up is the fact that I was actually pretty nervous to try a lash serum because I've had friends who've used other lash serums and have complained about the fact that it stings their eyes. Thankfully, absolutely not the case with the essential serum. So if you are scared, don't be because I've had a really, really great experience. I also took pictures every week since I started using it. So like, you know, the very first day and then the one week mark and then the two week mark. And I have noticed a significant difference. My lashes definitely look longer. And if you're interested, I'm going to post it on Instagram. Babe is so confident that you're going to love your results that they have a 90 day satisfaction guarantee. Go to babeoriginal.com and use the code DREAMBIGGER at checkout to save 15% off your order. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Allie Colbert. I'm bisexual, so I'm attracted to both women and food. I'm a stand-up comedian, and I host The Allie Colbert Show, where we talk all things dating, sexuality, pop culture, television advice, everything queer. We are the anti-basic podcast. We do amazing interviews with my friends who are hilarious stand-up comedians and have on interesting authors, writers, and actors. So if you want to laugh, listen to steamy stories, or learn some new dating tricks, this is for you. Listen in wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or wherever else. It's funny you say that because at the same time that things have gone pretty well for us with Tower 28, this past weekend we did this truck activation mm -hmm. where we had this ice cream truck at Melrose Trading Post. And I was out there like handing out samples just like anybody else was. And it was really humbling the number of people who would just like walk by me like they didn't see me, would ignore me. Certainly I'd like, have you, have you heard of Tower 28? And so many people would say, nope. <laughs> Yeah. So interesting, interesting experience, isn't it? To go out into the wild. Totally. So it's like every time you think you're like doing pretty well, you're like, let me just give you, you a dose of reality. Down to earth. <laughs> so 
talk to me about, you know, you worked at L'Oreal and then you went on to work at Kate Somerville. Like, I've, I mean, I see your resume, like, just like goes on and on. It's very impressive. So did you always know that you wanted to go ahead and start your own brand? Or were you like happy to be working at bigger organizations? Like yeah. what was going through your head? So if anything? You, no, I mean, so a lot of things. <laughs> so when I was at, when I was in business school, I actually majored in entrepreneurship and marketing. So I did a double concentration. And I think the whole time I told myself, and I was the president of the co-president of the Entrepreneurship Venture Management Association. And my dad was an entrepreneur and I read all the books and it was this dream of mine that I really wanted to do something on my own. And I'm sure in large part, it was because my I saw my dad do something on his own. And even though oddly, he the whole time was like, don't ever do this. This mm-hmm. is terrible. It's so much work. Like it's just going to make you, you know, it'll break your heart, like Mm -hmm. all these things about it. But I think I really told myself I was learning on someone else's dime. And in the end, I think it really served me very well. So you're right. I did. After business school, I went to go work at Smashbox. I went to Kate Somerville. I went to Josie Marin. But every time my job, when the companies got smaller and my job got bigger and I was able to do something pretty entrepreneurial in every role, meaning like at Smashbox, I started I was there when we launched International for the first time. When I went to Kate, it was the first time that we launched retail at all. And when I was at Josie, it was basically, we went from like nine to, I don't know, 45 million in like three years. It was just like a wild ride at the time. So I was able to have these roles where I started getting a closer seat at the table. And I think the thing about that that was really cool is that it really, I think just the closer you get to anything, it demystifies it, right? So you feel like, oh, wait a minute, like maybe this isn't so hard after all, or maybe I know a little bit more. And I'm not saying like certainly all of the people I've worked with, I think are very smart in their own way. But I felt like, oh, wait, but I'm also smart in my own way. And I think it gave me a lot of confidence. So yes, I definitely was doing it with the intention of learning something. And in retrospect, I'm actually so glad I did. But it's hard when you're doing because you don't know where it's going to take you. I I think there's something to be said about like having a career ahead of becoming an entrepreneur. So my co-founder who's my husband, he had like corporate jobs before we started Array. Meanwhile, myself, like I've only really like for the last however many years, I've only ever worked for myself as a blogger before starting Array. And I find that having someone who is my co-founder and on my team, who's had the sort of experience that working in corporate gives you, like, I think people don't speak about how important it is, you know, like it really does train you to be a great leader and it teaches you skills as well. So I think it's like, it's a, it's like, it's, it's just interesting because we hear a lot of these stories about like, oh, like, you know, I romanticize. Yeah. But like actually having those hard skills makes you a better leader. I think. I think it's that. And then I, the one part of it that I really go back to is I, you know, a lot of times people say that founders are crazy, right? And granted, I'm sure I'm crazy in my own way. But I will say the one real benefit that I've had from working in the, well, a few things, working in the industry, I think one, it gave me community Mm -hmm. and network, which made it easier for me to, now that I'm in it, there's always something I don't know. Yeah. And so at least I have somebody that I can ask a question to, or if I don't know what something is. But the other part of it is that because I've been an employee for so long, mm-hmm. I really genuinely think it makes me a better manager Yeah, yeah today absolutely. because I just have more empathy around what it feels like mm-hmm. to be in that situation. And so I'd like to think it all ladders up. You know, I used to teach at FITM and I remember I would teach at FITM and one of the first questions I would ask is, okay, what does everybody here want to do? Like, do you guys want to go into, it was in the beauty discipline. So it was all within a beauty major. And I would ask people, do you want to be, you know, in product development? Do you want to be in marketing? And over the years, the thing that I noticed is that so many people would raise their hand and say, I want to start my own beauty company. And I think that's great. But my advice has always been, go get some experience first, because it's just so easy to Mm. lose money. It's so easy to fail. But there's also no like, I don't know, silver bullet, right? Like just because I waited this long to do it, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm primed for success either. It's like, I don't know, you're married, like getting married. I know people who got married after knowing someone for two weeks and they are happy. And I got married after being with my husband for eight years. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that there's a right or wrong, but I do think having experience is helpful. I want to talk about people thinking that, you know, 
oh, like it's too late for me now, yeah. you know, like because you had this career, this incredible career, and then you went on to start your own brand. Did you ever have that thought go through your mind that like, oh, it's too late for me now? A hundred percent. And I think the time in which I was starting was when, you know, Glossier was really big and there's all these, there were all these founders, especially female founders that were mm-hmm. coming up, whether it was like The Wing or Glossier or Away, who were, by the way, much younger than me. And I think you see them out there raising money and girl bossing and doing these things. And they look different from me, right? They are a different age. They're a different color. You think they have a different, you're like, well, you have different access to capital than I do a lot easier. Or even like we've romanticized, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world Mm -hmm. who didn't, or like all the people who didn't go to college and they do things in their garage and everything. And that just wasn't a, a privilege I had because I had a mortgage and three kids. I did make sacrifices. Like we, I mean, we pulled our kids out of private school, which maybe does not sound like much of a sacrifice. No, but, that's a big sacrifice. But to them, it felt like a thing. It's a change of lifestyle, for right? Sure. And it was hard to, you know, it's heartbreaking for them. So we we did things like that. And we certainly had to cut back on our finances in certain ways. But ultimately, for me, yeah, I definitely had that, that difficulty of doing it. And, and a lot of it was psychological, right? Mm-hmm. Because you also, when you're older, even though you've experienced, you also have handcuffs because you're able to make yeah money right so for me it was like i've got this ability to make a certain amount of money that i'm going to forego to go do this and which is a sure thing to go do this other thing so i think yeah it's definitely scary but i think if we're if i can be i don't know the voice of any of this to someone listening it is that i i really don't think it's too late i think we're living in a different era where People are changing careers much more often and it doesn't get frowned upon yeah, anymore. Yeah, absolutely not. And I think there are opportunities to do whatever it is you want to do. And I think you're doing a disservice to yourself, especially when I hear people who are moms specifically because I have three kids who say like, you know, I just, I can't be, do this and not be a good mom or whatever. I don't know if I think that's true. I think the best way to be a good mom is to be a happy person. And yeah a good role model. So like if I'm at home and I'm unhappy, I don't think that serves them either. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I'm not a mom, but I am with you. And like, you know, I've seen some of my friends, ones who've like done their yeah. own thing while also having their children. And like, of course, prioritizing, but not like to the point where you leave your entire life, you know, and they're yeah. like so, so happy being moms, you know, like, of course, like they're dealing with a lot, but like, you know, at the same time, you have your life alongside your kids, you know? Yeah. Everyone's different, right? Like, I know a lot of people who are stay-at-home moms and are really happy. happy. And this is like what all they ever wanted. And I think that's amazing. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I felt like a loss of identity, to be honest with you. Yeah. I felt like I was in service so much that I wasn't fulfilling my own potential. And I think that that is a lot of what this opportunity has given me. It's just the opportunity to even be creative, you know, and to use what I consider to be like my talents. For sure. So for anyone else who kind of feels that even just the fear of like going all in on something when you, you know, you're either in a career that's making you good money or you have like things beyond yourself to worry about like kids or whatever it is, what advice would you give to them? Like, how did you even get started on Tower 28? Like what like was like what was the kind of like cushion or like the yeah. comfort that you had? I mean, I think my first advice is just to know yourself and know what is going to affect your psychological ability to handle and do these things. Like when I hear about, so I, I actually run a, a mentorship program for BIPOC beauty founders called Clean Beauty Summer School. And, you know, there's a woman in my program right now who like put everything on her credit card. She did, you know, and just hearing this makes me so anxious because that's just not my reality. Mm-hmm. Like I would have been, I wouldn't have been able to spend the money. And even, so I did raise money. I ra- raised friends and family money. And at one point I joined this like entrepreneurial female founder group. And one of the things that the coach had talked to me about is I, as a person, am pretty, am frugal. And I was afraid to lose the money, right? So even though I had raised it and she said to me, she's like, Amy, in like a year from now, if you haven't lost the money, people are not going to pat you on the back and say, good job for not losing the money. They gave you the money so you could spend the money mm-hmm. and go for it. 
So what are you doing? And I think that really gave me almost permission to go and really try for it. Even though I think in the beginning, it's so risky. You don't know what's going to work. So you're like, I don't know. Do I pay an influencer? Should I do that? I remember early on, somebody came to us and was like, you know, the Kardashians used to do those, follow these hundred brands. Oh my God. And like get a Louis Vuitton set. It was so wild. <laughs> like you have to pay money. But for anyone who doesn't know, you have to pay a shit ton of money shit ton to of money. like partake in that. And, and then somebody, all the followers go away. <laughs> no, totally. And somebody came to us and I was like, oh, is that a good idea? <laughs> Wait, should I do this? Because you just, you're like, I don't know something. I, unlike you, I did not come into this with a platform. So I have no influence as a person other than wasn't even on Instagram until I started doing this. I was on Facebook. So I didn't have that. And I didn't, you know, I think I was nervous. But to go back to your initial question about the advice side of it, I think you have to set yourself up and your life up so that you can take the risk on so that you're not so worried about it on a daily basis. And I don't, whatever that means to you. So I know people who raise a lot of money, they take really healthy salaries and their equity is less great. I know other people who own the whole thing and they, you know, they put it on their credit card and they like, they bet big in a different way. I'm somewhere in between, you know, I raised money, but I took different risks. I raised money from one of my, my lead investor of my second round was my best friend. And I've had basically all people I know invest in my business in the end. Some people I didn't know beforehand. But that's a different kind of stress too. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like you're letting down people you know. If like, it didn't go well, these are people I go to dinner with, I go on vacation with. So it's very personal in a lot yeah. of ways. But I think you have to just figure out like what you can turn on and off that won't make you... Like, let me tell you, we took a... This is a little bit personal, I guess. But we took a line of credit out against my home mm. and that felt like, oh, yeah. you know, because this is our home. It's mm -hmm. not just a house. It's like where my kids live, where it's where I live, my husband lives. And that felt like a lot of risk too. Mm -hmm. But you, you know, and my husband kept saying to me, he's like, before we get to that point where that would actually be impacted, you'll know. Yeah. Like, it's not going to go, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's not just like, it's a, so I think you just have to be able to like metabolize the inf like that risk on your yeah. own in order to take it. And figure out your appetite for risk as well. You know, 100. like people have like different things that like, okay, like this is a, an absolute no. And like, oh, this is not so bad. Sure. You know? And even my husband from the beginning said to me, he's like, we need to agree on like how much money we're willing to lose. And I think that was a really healthy conversation because I can imagine if we lost a bunch of money and it kept happening, like I, I've actually had it founder friends who've done this where they just keep putting money in. And then, you know, if their husband or significant other is the one who's the breadwinner, there's a lot of resentment. That of course. Grow. Yeah, that's hard. You know, it's not so easy at all. I think you just have to think about all of the all of the things involved. And we all have such a different association with money. Really, really good tips. So let's talk about Tower 28. Yeah. It is a clean beauty line, but it's also high performance. And it's good for like, you know, it's clean beauty. It's not, like it's not natural, but it's clean beauty. So yeah. tell everyone about the brand if they've not heard of it. Yeah, definitely. So I've had eczema my entire adult life. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that was really hard for me as someone who's working in the beauty industry is, you know, one of the fun parts is that we get to try all the products. And my skin probably since the time I graduated from college, has been really sensitive. So mm. I started getting really anxious about even trying lab samples or putting things on my skin. I've tried every diet, every kind of a doctor. I've gone to see an East, Eastern, Western, you know, everything. I've gotten shots, hoping that it would get rid of my eczema and nothing really helped. And one of the things I really wanted was to be able to wear makeup because I felt like if my skin was not in great condition, I wanted to be able to cover it up, but I was worried that by putting makeup on, I was making my skin worse. Mm -hmm. And so that was really the need gap I decided I wanted to fill was products that were not only safe for sensitive skin, but also clean. So when I started having kids was also timed with the time I went to go work for Josie Marin. And Josie Marin Cosmetics really was like a pioneer of clean beauty at the time. So to your point about natural, it was about like, how natural can we make a product? Like all of our packaging had 98% natural, 97% natural, whatever it is. The only issue with that in some products is that in an effort to make things natural, you're putting a lot of botanicals, you're putting essential oils in, 
oftentimes that can be at the expense of making it more irritating depending mm-hmm. on your skin type. Mm-hmm. So some skin and some essential oils, everybody can tolerate. My skin has a harder time with essential oils and specifically like the citrusy ones, their pepperminty ones, like any type of those plumper products mm-hmm. that had like a lot of cinnamon and tea tree oil were so hard for me to use because I would get like a little bit of a rash on the mm-hmm. outside of my lip. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really that is what we are. We're all about, Tower 20 is all about being products that are clean, but with the intention of being clean because it's made for safer, safer sensitive skin. So the combination of the inter- that intersection is really what I felt like was missing. And then also our products are 30, our most expensive product is 34 and our cheapest is 12. And so the idea there really was Just like, accessible. How do I make an accessible price point? Because I felt personally left out of the conversation, mm-hmm. whether it was in the visuals that I was looking at where I didn't see people of color or it was just in the the way that things were being marketed. Mm-hmm. And so all of our products are kind of, you see like this beachy aesthetic, which Tower 28 is a real t- tower. It's a lifeguard tower at the intersection of Santa Monica and Venice. And the beauty of that is really like, to me, it's that the beach is this place everybody gets to go and live a healthy life and fun lifestyle. So hopefully that's what our products are. I love that story. Tell people the difference between clean and natural because I feel like they're used interchangeably and most people are just flat out confused. Yeah. And I actually even, I hesitate to even use those terms myself Mm. because it's not really the anchor of the business to me. It is part of our product philosophy. So we're clean at Sephora, we're clean at Credo, which I think are both retailers that do a fantastic job. But the truth is all of these things are evolving, right? Mm. So I rely on third-party people like them to kind of come up with the list and tell us what not to use because they're the ones doing all of the research. And I'm not a chemist by trade, right? So we're actually the only makeup brand that is 100% adherent to both those guidelines as well as the National Eczema Association. And that's really for the irritation purpose side of things. So you asked about clean versus natural. Clean is an umbrella statement that is not regulated. And the way I think about it is I'm clean at Sephora, clean at Credo. So I'm adhering to those. The idea is not necessarily natural, but it is meant to mean safe. So it means that we are avoiding, we're doing, you can use synthetics, but they are deemed safe synthetics. So the statistic people often share is that in the EU, they ban, I think like 1500 ingredients. And I think in America, it is definitely under a hundred. It might it's even like, be it's quite shocking. 30s. Yeah. I don't, it's, it's nothing. It's yeah, basically nothing. it's all is fair. Game. It's all a fair, fair game. And the industry in general, I don't know if people know this, but is it's very much, you know, you can launch whatever you want and it's really, your risk is based on if somebody calls you out on it or reports you or really? those types of things. I mean, I can launch a product and there's literally no government body that is going to say, is going to check your, I send my products to regulatory and compliance. We have people look at it, but that's not a precursor to something you're buying on the internet, right? Like it's, and the retailers will ask you to sign documentation saying one, that you have insurance and two, that you're abiding by all of these things as well. But like, that's why I get even a little bit leery if I don't, I think having a retail partner is another just, it's a safeguard around if brands are doing things the right way. But mostly you have, it's a self-regulating business. So like you can get in trouble. Yes, the FDA could call you on something, the FTC, depending on where you're saying it, Mm -hmm. but it's based on self-regulation in order to get to the point that you're launching at least. Wow, that's really, really fascinating. So how can consumers differentiate between clean products? I'm going to put that in quotations, like clean products that are actually effective versus greenwashing, because it's like such a confusing field. And then you throw in sustainability too, right? Which is, I mean, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah, no. And we have these same conversations internally all the time. So, I mean, the truth is we're all just trying to do our best, or at least I hope we are. I can speak for, for ourselves that we're just trying to do our best. So, I don't necessarily know if I think formaldehyde is not good for you in a product, right? (laughs) That there are certain things like is, and now people are saying talc is really bad for you. I'd rather just go ahead and avoid anything that is potentially bad for you, especially because I'm making products 
designed for sensitive skin, which means in theory, if you're like me, your skin barrier could be damaged. Mm -hmm. And so if you're putting product on skin, and I think what is the statistic, like 60, 70% of what you put on your skin, your body's largest organ goes into your bloodstream. And I just always thought like, but if I have eczema and my eczema has been like broken and weepy before. And so then you're, or if you have acne or anything where your skin barrier doesn't work, then your barrier isn't able to do its job. And so to me, I feel like it's just like buying another layer of insurance by Mm -hmm. saying, okay, let's just avoid, avoid, avoid. So we avoid, avoid, avoid. And then to speak about the greenwashing part of it and how people can shop, I think you have to just go with, you can do the research on your own. So you can, I like to look at what Credo and Sephora do because again, they're big companies that have the resources. I am sure someone can come in here and tell us that they're not perfect. Who is? Who is though? Like but who the it, hell is perfect these days? But at least we're trying. And then I think the sustainability thing is, again, like, is someone trying? I don't know. Like, we're, we've this year, at the end of last year, we made all of our products a minimum of 50% PCR, which is post-consumer resin or recycled plastic, up to 100%. Wow. And one of the things, you know, and Sephora is like, okay, but can you make all of these products also recyclable? And we're kind of like, okay, yes, maybe, except that, is that really helpful? Because right now the recycling sorting machines, like anything under two inches, which our lip gloss is under two inches are, you know what I mean? Like we would be taking on a lot of cost mm-hmm. and redoing our whole supply chain situation to do something and fit into a profile that I don't personally feel like may not matter mm-hmm. if you can't mm-hmm. actually recycle it. Yeah. Yeah. They're completely right if you take the time to bring it in, which I think is what they're hoping, right? If you work with like a pack collective or something, you can recycle those goods. But I think there's a lot of, you know, like plastic negative, carbon neutral. There's all these really great organizations out there. Which ones you should partner with and how to do it, I, that I don't know enough about. Yeah. But I think everybody at least is aware and and trying. Yeah. Or a lot of brands are. And I think that's how I as a consumer would think about it is who's making an effort and who's, I think we all vote with our dollars. Mm -hmm. And I think that's more than anything else. I think that's what will make brands and, you know, pick up, like actually change the way that they do things is if you are demanding it with your dollars. Yeah. You're totally right. So switching gears a little bit, let's talk about your SOS spray because it's good for eczema. Yeah. What is the magic ingredient in the spray that makes it good for eczema? So it actually has an ingredient in it called hypochlorous acid. That's the hero ingredient. It's really a very simple formula. It's basically a purified water, a filtered salt, and hypochlorous acid. Hypochlorous acid is an ingredient that our own bodies make. So think of it as like your white blood cells make hypochlorous acid in defense of anything that it understands to be angry. So if you get a cut, if you get acne, if you get a sunburn, anytime your skin is under duress, your skin wants to heal itself. That's its job. And what it will do is go two things. It'll do two things. It creates hypochlorous acid with the intention of fighting bacteria to keep it clean and then also to calm and soothe. So it creates an environment so your skin can heal itself. So eczema is a form of inflammation, Mm -hmm. right? And it's a chronic form of, it's an autoimmune issue, right? But the commonality between eczema, acne, any of these skin conditions really is those two things, which is one is the root cause of it is inflammation. And the thing that makes it worse is bacteria. So if you have inflammation, which all of these are, all of these skin problems are, then the thing you want to do is calm it and soothe it, right? And then you want to, the back, antibacterial part of it is helpful because if your skin is clean, then it has, it creates the environment, it can heal itself. Bacteria basically makes any skin condition worse, right? Which is why we actually saw our product become so popular during pandemic because people had masks on and so they were talking and eating and then yeah, the mask knee situation was and it became rough. a mask knee situation mm-hmm. because the bacteria is sitting on your skin so because people started spraying you know the product that is where they saw a lot of um, wow 
cure for it is because of that. And now we've seen, I mean, we just had actually Haley Bieber talked about us recently, which was maybe one of the I most- I saw that. I saw that. It was so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was maybe, I was on the Create and Cultivate panel and I met Desi Perkins, who's the nicest. And she, I introduced myself to her and she said, oh my gosh, Haley Bieber just talked about you. And I was like, this is the most LA thing that's ever happened to me that Desi Perkins is telling me Haley Bieber just talked about Oh my God. Yeah, I've actually, I've seen that spray everywhere. Like literally, Amy, I was on my way over to this interview and I opened up my Instagram and saw... Do you know Lindsay Carter from Set? Yes. She was talking about it on her stories. That, yes. Like, she, like, loves the product. And it's I'm like, funny. Just the same time you probably saw, like, one of the girls on my team just texted me and was like, Lindsay Carter just talked about it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, I feel like it's, it's really just, I see it everywhere. Like, everyone's talking about the spray. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason why it's become, and it's, by the way, our number one selling product, which is shocking because... I wanted to start a makeup company. And at the last minute I made a skincare product, right? Like it wasn't, at least I wasn't looking for it to make it initially, but it was something that was helping me. And so we brought it into the line when when I started making it. But I think the reason it's been so popular is because we call it almost like the Windex of My Big Fat Greek Wedding, if you remember that movie, Mm -hmm. where it works on so many different issues. So whether you're talking about, I don't know if this is what Lindsay Carter was saying, but if it's post-exercise, it really good. It works to help neutralize sweat because sweat oh, is essentially really? bacteria wow. sitting on your skin and okay. toxins, right? If you're talking about post-sun, it's really good for any redness and inflammation. Um, honestly, like piercings, tattoos, we actually do a lot of things to our skin that make our skin angry. I use it on my kids for when they get like just like cuts and minor things like that. Or my sister uses it for diaper rash. So then how are you like... What what's the best time of day? Like, can you use it on top of makeup? Like, what's the yeah. deal? I mean, I think it's like anything else where I like to think of it as a replacement for my toner. Oh, and okay. so I use I cleanse and then I use SOS and then I move on to my moisturizer, oil, whatever it is. But I think the other thing is that you can use it throughout the day. So the way that this spray works is hypochlorous acid, like I said, your body makes. Mm-hmm. So the way you want to think of it is when you spray it on topically, your body is like, oh, we are defending ourselves and it will make more of it as well. So So it's really less about like drenching yourself and more about frequency. Because if you can do it throughout the day, then your body is like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're healing ourselves. Smart. Okay. I I have to give it to my husband. He has like the worst eczema. Like I cannot even tell you his nose is like peeling. Mine used to too, around here, yes. around the crevices. And yes. then I used to get it on like my eyelids. Yes, and around. exactly. And I used to get it between my fingers Oof. a lot. I would say one, I do think the spray definitely does help. But for me, the other thing with eczema that's helped has been sugar. And that's not the funnest thing to say. I, I mean, it's something that like, I think we both know because... If he's having like, if his diet is like, yeah, I mean, we're both very stressed. And sleep, but yeah. All the things we. (laughs) Yeah. But the sugar, you're so right. Because anytime like he's eats like a lot of dessert, like it's like a flare up right away. And so you're so right. Like there's some link For me, it would be wine because there's a lot of sugar in wine and I would drink and then I would just like almost immediately start turning red and like feeling itchy too. Yeah. It's, it's tricky for sure. So I want to, before we wrap, actually, because, oh my God, I can't believe how fast this conversation has gone. But I want to talk to you about Sephora because I think that a lot of entrepreneurs or like people who are like outside looking in are like, oh my God, like Sephora, like, you know, it's a get rich quick scheme. And it's like, so like, I don't know what people think, but like this and Sephora is an undertaking and a half. So can you talk to up-and-coming entrepreneurs or people who are curious about what it's like to get into Sephora? Like, what's that process even like? So I think it's probably different for everyone who pitches. I heard recently, I'm part of the Sephora Accelerate program and one of the teachers, which basically is helping BIPOC beauty founders as well, who are coming, it's almost like an incubator program. Mm -hmm. And they shared a statistic recently that they allow 2% of the people who pitch into their assortment. Wow. That is harder than... Harvard, that is harder than, yeah, that's I mean, not, definitely not easy. It's really hard. I mean, so I will first start by saying, I think this is, as somebody who's worked in the industry for a long time, I think there has never been a more competitive time in the industry. The obstacle to entry is pretty low. So depending on how you want to go about making products, you could show up to a makeup show and private label something pretty quickly if you didn't care about what the ingredients were. That's not how we do things, but it's possible. Yeah. 
And so there are, I mean, you could even go on Alibaba. One of the investors I tried to raise money from in the beginning was like, I don't understand what's taking you so long. Why don't you just go on Alibaba and write your name on something? And I was like, that's not the way I want to do this. Yeah, and you are not my investor. <laughs> you thank are you. not my investor. Thank you That very much. is wild. That, I mean, the, there, there's different ways to skin a cat, right? So, but to answer your question, no, it is hard to get into Sephora because they are looking... I think they are true brand builders. I think when they take a brand in, they're not looking to just do a quick hit and make money and move on. They're looking for a longer term relationship. And so because of that, they really want brands that have a real point of difference. And that's something that they talk about a lot. Even with us, right? As we go, when we're launching a a new product and we're showing them, they're like, tell me what's different about it. Because they they recognize how much sameness there is in the world. And they really truly do want to be not only a marketplace, but I think a curator of brands and one, and someone that really builds brands. And I think they do a great job of that. So in terms of the process of how to get in, I think it's a little different for everyone. You probably can just email them and see if they'll let you FedEx come in. Your- <laughs> you could FedEx. I, I actually, I, you know, that's a good question. I should ask them what, if they have... No, you know, you hear about people like Walmart or like the 99 cent store who have these things where on a day, anyone can just stand in their waiting room and pitch them. And is that a thing? I, yeah, Walmart is. They have like no a way. Oh, yeah, they have these days where you can like, you know, just like a light, you know, like the the light bulb that comes yeah. down. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I met with the, when I was in business school, I met with the 99 cent store owner, like on a field trip. Yeah. We were meeting owners and he said the same thing. They open up their office, like once every whatever, oh and goodness. people can just come in and pitch. Wow. Okay. This is, I don't but Sephora, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think they do. They do I don't that. Know. I've never heard of it at least. For us, it's a little bit different because I had a background where I knew the merchants. Mm-hmm. And so I had worked, you know, every brand I've worked with has sold at Sephora. So I had relationships. I think sometimes when I say that people think, oh, so it was easy for you to no, get in. No, it's not easy. I don't think it makes it easy, but I do think it makes it so someone will open my email, right? But the thing that I would really take away from that is whether you decide to work first or you decide to go for it right away. I think the thing I did well early in my career is I was I was nice. The girl who was the head of clean makeup and that I was pitching was a coordinator back in the day when I was at Josie. So she was young back Mm -hmm. then. And she was the junior person on my account. And I'm not necessarily saying like we were best friends or anything, but I think she knew that I was responsible and that, you know, if she, she could trust me. So she, because if you think about it, if they're bringing you into the store, not only do they have to love your product, they have to make sure that you know how to run a business and that you can keep them in stock. And that if they pitch you for an email, if they pitch you for the front of store, that you're going to be able to deliver that product in time and you're going to be able to keep your end of the commitment too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think it really is important to be, to really just work on your reputation because I think we earn our reputations, right? So I think the the pitching process, I'll be honest with you, was fairly easy for me. I think we happened to get lucky in terms of the timing. They had some space on the clean end cap and we were, I, don't, I actually don't know any other brands that launched we went from in-store, we went from being on dot-com only to in-store in all stores. And that wow. almost never happens to my knowledge because of the fact that space is so hard to get. But they happened to have like a 14-inch space that they hadn't filled yet. And they took our assortment. And today we have two shelves at Sephora. Wow. And next year we'll be going into our own branded end caps. Oh my God, congrats. That's Thank huge. Thank you. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. And they've actually been such great partners. I couldn't be more grateful. Yeah, like it's 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 really, it's not easy to get into like a retailer like that. And well, I would say the easy part is not so much just the getting in, but the staying. That's exactly. And like, I don't think people realize that like with retail, it's not just about getting on someone's shelves. It's about actually making sure that your product is selling. And like, if you don't have brand equity, like how's that going to happen? Totally. And I think it's also gone are the days where I think you can be like, well, stack them high and let them fly. Like you can just launch and leave. That's just not the case. I think whatever retail partnership you have, it has to be a partnership where it's like, well, this is what I'm going to do to support the launch. 
Now, how are you going to help me? Mm -hmm. And it can't just be one side either direction. Yeah. Great tip. Okay, Amy, before we wrap, a quick rapid fire. Sure. So first question, what is one habit that's a non-negotiable for you? Coffee. (laughs) I wish I had a better one that made me sound, you know, I read that book, Atomic Habits, and I was like, I wish I had really, really (laughs) great habits to share with you. But no, I am addicted to coffee. It's the first thing I do every morning. The only thing I learned from that book, Atomic Habit, was um, not the only, but one of the things was to stack Stack, habits. Yeah. So at least now when I drink my coffee, I drink it with a scoop of collagen and I take my little fish oil pills. (laughs) Okay, well, that's good. That's not bad at all. Every morning. What is your favorite business book? Oh, you know, this is not a, well, I don't know if I would consider it a business book, but the one that I actually have been gifting, that I've gifted the most because I find it and I go back and I read. Mm. It's called The Four Agreements. Oh, I've not even heard of it. By who? Um, You'd have to look it up. Okay, I'm going to look it up. Uh, I can't remember. And that's silly that I don't know because I have so many copies of it since I keep them so I can give them to people because I think it's such a- What's it about? It's basically like- four agreements. And the one that one of them is be impeccable with your word. The second one is don't take anything personally. I'm blanking on the other two, but it's, they're more like lessons in life and ways to live. And I think that don't take things personally is one that I've had to really, and I still feel like I need to continually reminding myself of because it's so easy in business to take things personally. And I think oftentimes, like if it's bad news, if it's any anything, it's easy to take it the wrong way. Like if you didn't get picked for something mm-hmm. or if you, I don't know, whatever it is. But it's, I, I think it's really helped my personal, I guess, psychology, because I think that's really important when building a business is to find ways to be calm. Yeah. Because <laughs> it can, it's so easy to let the day run you. And so, yeah, it's a great book. I I would recommend it's fast. It's a fast read too. Great. I will definitely be reading it. Okay. Last question. If you could use only one skincare product for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh my God. So I love Alison McNamara's oil, Hermara oil. Oh my God. It is so I can't remember. Universal oil is what she calls it. It's amazing. The universal oil. I use it every night. I use it every night too as like the last thing I put on my skin. I think it's so good. And I also just like her as a person, which helps. Yeah. Is there cleansing oil? I've used all of it. I have the sunscreen on right now. Phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, those products are incredible. But yeah, great plug for Mara. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Amy, for being here. This was so fun. Oh yeah, for sure. Thanks for having (laughs) me. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week. Thank you.